Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Do you have a warrant for your arrest for the murder of William Lowe, who was the gas station attendant? But you're wrong. From NBI Studios, this is Truth and Justice, a crowdsourced investigation in real time. I'm Bob Ruff. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Truth and Justice. This is your Friday follow-up episode for Season 7, Episode 21. And in this episode, we have finally, finally had what could possibly be a major break in the case and take us a few steps closer to solving the murder of Bill Little. Joining the studio today, as always, by producer extraordinaire Mike Bussing. Hey, Bob. And Super Duper Podcast co-host, Mr. Zach Weaver. Aloha. And we have some scheduling conflict issues that just came up, so let's get right into this and get her done. Sounds good to me, Bob. Texas Ranger James Holland is a legendary interrogator. They call him the serial killer whisperer. You can't hide those indications, and that's why yesterday I knew that you did it. But now, shocking interrogation tapes reveal how the super cop really operates. And that's why they asked me to come in, because I'm special. From something else, The Marshall Project and Sony Music Entertainment, this is Smokescreen. Just say you're sorry. Listen and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, our first question comes from Kim. Do you know anything else about Bill being a suspect in a robbery or robberies in the past? She says you mentioned it in an early episode. I understand he didn't do it, but I could see a situation where looking at the robbery and why he was a suspect could connect him to the actual criminal, possibly even the Jeffs or the kid who stole the car. Bill was a suspect in a string of robberies, but they were not from Bloomington. It was from Leroy, and I don't have any idea if he was actually involved in those robberies. I don't think so. The I believe it was the McLean County Sheriff's Department in some of the documents listed Bill Little and his friend Jacob, who was on our show in episode one, uh, listed both of them as suspects in that. So I don't know if there would be any connection there, because it seems like everything that Jeff Miller and Jeff Durbin were up to was in the Bloomington Normal area, as opposed to down in in Leroy. I missed all of that. I didn't know Bill was suspecting any robberies. Yeah, well, it was just a short little, I I didn't talk about it a whole lot. In, In the police reports, so there was, Bill's mom had told police that Bill knew or was cooperating with police and was going to help them with this these robberies in Leroy. Remember, it was like at a pool hall or a, a bar. I do remember that he had, he they thought he had info on robbery, but I didn't realize he was possibly a suspect in one. Yeah, there's like one blurb in one of the reports that says that he was, him and, and Jacob both were considered suspects in this other robbery. Julie says, we learned earlier in the season that Bill may have had info on a string of robberies, 
Do we know anything about the armed robberies that were occurring prior to his death? Also, do we know if anyone was ever caught? They weren't armed robberies, if if my understanding is correct. There were people breaking it, and I can't remember off the top of my head if it was a I don't think it was the pool hall. I think it was a bar slash restaurant in Leroy. Uh, but it sounded like it was kind of an inside job type of deal where there was a uh, an employee of this restaurant that was letting people in after hours to rob the cash register. It was happening happening regularly. So yeah, they they weren't they weren't armed robberies if memory serves. And next she says, is there more info about the crimes connected to the Jeffs? We learned quite a bit about Durbin's part in the crimes, but I would love to know more about Miller's. As far as, I assume she's talking about the three armed robberies that they did get convicted for. Right. Yeah, we know a little bit about them. There was, they were, Jeff Miller, I believe, was wearing a mask in all of them and held the, I think the the newspaper articles are up on the, the website either from episode seven or from this episode. Um, I think both, actually. But I believe they said that in all the instances that he went in with a gun and a mask and then ordered the people to give them the money and then he took off. Do we know if they happened before or after Bill's murder? So that's a good question. After, I believe. Uh, he was arrested, I think it was August of 91. Okay. Uh, I believe is when he was arrested. And uh, I believe they all happen over the summer, which if the Jeffs were involved in Bill's murder, them wearing a mask kind of makes sense. That's that's what I was exactly thinking. It was after his murder that they're, they're like, oh, we need to cover our faces. Right. Because, yeah, they I mean, they, they ended up killing somebody because presumably Bill recognized one of them mm-hmm. or something. And we don't know if that's what happened. But, you know, if they got recognized or even the composites, you know, because Gutierrez's composite was the one that really went all through all the, the news publications and everything at first. But then also later, Martinez's composite came out, which I have yet to be able to find. We've been doing a ton of research. I've got a few listeners that have been helping do a ton of research on the Jeffs and Wiley Holt that we're going to get into on Sunday. Um, but I've yet to find a picture, an actual picture of Jeff Miller. But the way he was described was, you know, just white guy who's five foot six, hundred twenty five pounds with brown curly hair. When you look at Martinez's composite, you know, it, it certainly there's nothing in that composite that couldn't fit mm-hmm. with what we the little we do know about Jeff Miller. So, you know, if, especially if he had seen that composite out and about, it definitely would make sense that he would he would start wearing a mask. Mike says, "Are you getting any cooperation from local authorities?" And also, do the current district attorney or detectives know about you and your mission? As far as any help from the local authorities, no, not officially. Now, there have been some people that do have some connections, either to the DA's office or the police department, uh, that have reached out and and offered some assistance. But officially, no, they have not helped. And the the DA's office definitely knows. I mean, I, I sent a couple things. One... I sent a an interview request to Don Knapp, the DA or the state's attorney, and he he promptly denied my request. And uh, many many listeners, after hearing Jamie make that request a, a few episodes ago, have sent letters, made phone calls, sent emails. Which, by the way, keep it up, keep doing it, keep the pressure on. Let them know that we're here, especially with some of this new information that we have. So yeah, I, the the state's attorney's office certainly knows that we're involved. I I I presume that a lot of the law enforcement officers that we've been talking about also know 
I know that because someone had told me that they wrote a letter to uh, Charlie Crow, and Charlie, either a phone call or letter, whatever it was, Charlie got back to them and was was pissed off. Um, basically, told him to to go pound sand and leave him alone. Don't talk to him. It, it sounds like like everyone involved. And I'm amazed. And Sunday, there's going to be some more information revealed too. How quickly, being as small of a town it is, how quickly things are getting around about the podcast. You know, I had when when we put out the episode a couple of weeks ago about the the kids that sold a car. You know, I had a couple of people reach out to me and be like, "Hey, I know who that kid is." Just from little bitty context clues, even with the everything bleeped out, knew exactly who I was talking about and provided more information. So I, I'm sure they're all very well aware to the point where I was I was told by someone who knows the area that at this point I may want to be careful driving in Bloomington. Leslie says, will you be able to access any records of firearms used in the Jeff robberies or firearms ever registered to the parents of the teens who stole the Monte Carlo? I don't have direct access to a lot of that information. However, I did find out Ray Wilson, um, who you heard from last week and has been investigating Jamie's case for about five years now. He did let me know that the police did do a little bit of looking into the Jeffs more than we realized. Uh, you don't, we don't see any police reports, any interviews, anything like that to indicate how they were cleared other than the, they don't have a scar and they don't look like Gutierrez's description. So they're cleared, but, but apparently they did in the ballistics paperwork, the Jeffs had a 22 that they used in some of their robberies, some a, a 22 that was connected. That's really interesting. It is interesting. Also, he said they did some forensic testing on that gun to see if it matched the bullets from Bill's Bill's murder, and they did not match. But that doesn't mean a whole lot. If they're known to use a 22, they could have picked up another 22. Right. 22 is a super cheap gun and mm-hmm. in a, in, in a, in kind of a common gun. So, yeah, it was, but it's interesting to know that they are connected to a 22. I think they, I think he said they also did um when they pulled the static lifts from the footprints they they compared some of their footwear to it without a match but that I mean that was they did static lifts looking for footprints in a gas station that had, you know, 100 people in and out of it that day including the police officers. Mm-hmm. So I don't, you know, I, I don't think that would prov- that's even if they did match I don't think it's going to help, you know. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess. Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Jenny says, have you been able to locate the car thieves? Also, do you think they might have witnessed the shooting? Yes, I have been able to locate the car thieves. I'm going to talk about, well, I guess now is a good time. 
I was go- I was going to put that into Sunday's episode, but with some of the other stuff that we've learned, I guess now now is a good time. So I did make contact with one of the car thieves. They were they were identified. I did find out that one of them, the one that that our our informant thought made the call, uh, that she thought she recognized his voice, and the one that that said he he knew his friend Bill had been killed. That that man is deceased. He passed away uh, not too awful long ago. Talked to one of the other guys, and I, I don't think they were involved. I wish that the one that has passed away ha- you know, was still around so we could talk to him a little bit more. Um, but I, I, I do want to say that I, I don't think there's any involvement there. You know, we said when we talked to Ray that you know, we need to find these guys and investigate them if for no other reason to clear them. And I think we kind of have. So uh, when I reached out to this particular person, his first reaction, I don't know if he had heard it on the podcast first or if if it was from when I reached out to him. But um, the first thing he did, he actually went to the police department and confessed to stealing the car. Hmm. That's interesting. It, it is. It's 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 interesting. And, and honestly, like I've, I've spent quite a bit of time talking to the gentleman. He's a good guy. You know, and, and you know, if you look at his, his life, he's a good guy. No involvement, and even that is, you know, as soon as he heard, okay, that he obviously was able to pick up on some of the context clues and know who we were talking about, and also uh-huh. he knew that he was involved in going for the joyride with the car. He went right down to the police department, confessed to them, and said, "Yes, he did do this," and he wanted to, he wanted them to have all that information so that he could be cleared. You know, that sounds like a just some teenage mischief. You know what I mean? That could very right. well happen. You you go for a joyride. It gets a little out of control because you think the cops are following you and you ditch the car. Right. I could see it happening. Yeah. Now, he he, he did say that they, um, first of all, to your point, it, it was just a joyride. He said they weren't actually in the car very much. They were gone so long because they ditched the car and, and they they had to, um, they had to get a, you know, get away from it, and, but they were far away. Also, Jamie, once again, was right. You know, he, he said that he thought that the car was dumped on Six Points Road. And we didn't see any documentation, so he was kind of second guessing himself. Maybe well, we did find the paperwork where it does say it was it was dumped on Six Points Road, and um, oh, I'm going to butcher the other. It was Alexander or Anderson Road or something like that. But it, it was it was well over on the west side of town. The route of travel from there back to the apartments would not have gone past the Clark Station. However, the the gentleman I talked to said that he was the one that he said he was scratched up. Because they, um, he said, you know, they, they, he said they got split up, and he jumped through some yards and stuff, and he ended up calling someone on a payphone for a ride, and, and I did ask if you're wondering, I asked, you know, did any of them take a cab? And he said, no, they were all between 14 and 17 years old. Uh, nobody took a cab, so I haven't, you know, I haven't talked to him a whole lot since then. You know, I, I asked him some key questions. He satisfied me that there certainly was no involvement, but he did say that the the gentleman that has passed away was very good friends with Bill Little. Okay. And he said that's probably why he knew. So it's possible, you know, he just, you know, word traveled fast that that something had happened. Because remember, you know, w- within, you know, within that first hour, half hour or whatever, you know, Bill's family was there. Danny Hartley was there. I spoke with Danny Hartley and Danny did confirm. He wasn't sure. He didn't, he didn't quite remember. He then reached out. Danny's been a big help. He reached out to some other friends of his. And confirmed that yes, this guy did know Bill very well. 
and then he also he also knew some of the other people we talked to we talked about early on the Shauna or Sean the female that was uh, Danny's friend that was with him that night uh, this guy was friends with her you know so so he had connections to these people the the gentleman I spoke with wasn't sure how the guy found out that that Bill had been killed and of course we don't have any way to ask him but certainly there was no conversation amongst them you know that, that gave any indication he didn't have the any any feeling whatsoever that either of his other two friends knew any had any personal direct knowledge of of what happened to Bill so it's a question that needed to be answered uh, and I explained it to him you know I just look we're doing our job while investigating this case you know there's a car being stolen in the same part of town at the same time is something we have to chase down. And he seems like he understood that. And, and, and again, he went into the police department, made sure he cleared it up. So they have that information. But what he said is it was a short joy ride. They ditched the car on the other side of town and got split up. He called a, a, a friend to come pick him up on a payphone, And, you know, the other guys might've done the same thing, which could also explain how he found out, you know, we said there are no cell phones, but we forgot about something that doesn't exist anymore, which are payphones. Adam says, do you have any information on the current whereabouts of the two Jeffs or Wiley Holt? Wiley Holt is passed away and we're still working on the Jeffs. One of them, Jeff Miller, I think it seems the end the research we were doing last night seems to indicate that he has also passed away. But it's there's a bunch of Jeff Millers in Bloomington, so it, it's it's been difficult narrowing down which one was him. But it seems like he may have been passed away. Not sure about Durbin. To be honest with you, they had a real hard. I've had a real hard time researching them. That's kind of why I brought in some of these listeners who are very good at some other um, uh, resources for research. But w- when I looked in the Illinois Department of Corrections website for their their offender search. Which it seems like the way it works is it shows you not only current but past offenders. I didn't. I never saw either of them in there, which is weird. Well, I wonder how far back it goes. Well, I mean, I saw people with arrests in '91, '96. You know, it could be though that they were arrested again later, so it kind of got them back in the system and they back lo- backloaded their older stuff. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure it's nothing. You know that tinfoil hatty, like like somebody's trying some conspiracy to hide their information. I think it's just something. You know, maybe it wasn't old enough, but those are just some of the snags we've run into. The things that I normally would do to research somebody just really keep presenting a lot of dead ends. Well, and like the Jeff Miller name, that's a very common name. That's got to be a hard one to find anything on. It is even in a town as small as Bloomington. There's still tons of them. Mm-hmm. Next, he wants to know, as someone that was close to Bill at the time of his death, I'm wondering whether Danny Hartley might be able to shed some light on a possible connection between the two Jeffs. Also, are you planning to reach out in light of the new tip? Well, like I said, I have I have reached out to Danny Hartley about the, the car thieves. I've mentioned to him, I think I've mentioned to him the Jeffs, but, but Danny's actively listening. And so he he hits me up anytime there's anything that he wants to add or if he has any questions or anything like that. And it doesn't sound like they have any connections to either the Jeffs that Danny's aware of. Nicole says, in an earlier episode, you talked about someone reporting they had seen a couple of guys drive away the street over from the gas station. Any chance it was the Joyriders? I can't remember what kind of car was described. I know it's speculation, but it could explain why the guy seemingly knew that Bill had been killed. 
Yeah, that was, I believe, that was another one of our brown car sightings. Uh, the brown four-door around the corner on East Home. And no, it wouldn't have been. According to to one of the guys that was in the car, they were nowhere near there. Also, they were driving a two-door bluish, grayish Monte Carlo. So no, I don't think so. Joshua says, not sure if anyone posted this theory, but is there any chance that the two-perpetrator theory could still be true, only they were two unrelated perpetrators? Basically, could the first perpetrator be the guy Jerry saw and he robbed Bill and left? Then someone else shows up a few minutes later, maybe Jeff Miller, not knowing Bill had just been robbed and potentially gets into an argument with Bill, maybe not believing he had just been robbed or not wanting to leave empty-handed, and tries to get Bill to open the drop safe. Either way, he gets frustrated and shoots Bill and then leaves. It doesn't sound like robberies were too uncommon in the area at the time, so it could have just been a random circumstance. Also, I feel like if someone was very hyped up to commit a robbery and found out they were going to leave empty-handed, they would be pretty upset. I don't think the two-perp theory could be thrown out yet, and there's a lot of possibilities. In my opinion, I think that really Gutierrez's statement can be thrown out. I think he was there an hour earlier. I mean, all indications are that he was there an hour earlier. His time of his in his report is fluid. He thinks that it was around 8.15. Uh, or 8.05 when he was there, and this weird, I, you know, it was 8.12 when I walked into my apartment, but then we find out that he actually was with a buddy and they went somewhere else. So the only actual concrete evidence that we have that can corroborate Gutierrez's story is the register tape that shows a $3 purchase at 7 o'clock, or just before 7 o'clock, which was well over an hour. There was a lot of activity between there. So for me, I'm looking at this right now. Of course, nothing is out of the question, but for now, for the last probably month, I've been looking at the case as though Gutierrez is completely unrelated, that it was from a different time. Now, the the two perp theory really, to me, was the potential differences between what Luna saw and what Martinez saw. And there was a lot of things that went into that. One one was, you know, Luna didn't see Martinez there. And I, there was the timing of when the, the, the he saw the emergency vehicles with their lights and sirens on showing up when he then looked back around. So I think it's it's possible that Carlos Luna saw someone leaving, turned around, went back to his TV, and then Martinez pulls up, and then the murder happens, and that's when uh, he sees his perp leaving. There were some differences in the clothing. I think it's possible. I don't think that is necessarily the case uh, because, you know, there, it's just so far away eyewitness identification just isn't good. Certainly, the little details that they have different could just be, you know, the weakness of an eyewitness identification. But, you know, they they could be two different people, and that could be the two different Jeffs even. I think it's a big coincidence that two different robbers would show up within 10 minutes of each other. You know, I'm not saying that there isn't a chance that the two different robbers could have showed up to rob the place the same night. On Easter. But on Easter, within 10 minutes of each other, it's kind of... Yeah. Well, well and, and to be clear, I'm not saying that what I'm saying is that there were two together together. His question is two separate. Right. And I'm saying no. Yeah. No, I, I, yeah. Don't. I think there might be two perpetrators, but I think if there are two, it's together, not separate. Yeah. I think the theory may be more to the line of one of them comes in and robs them and leaves and says something to the other, like, oh, you know, he recognized me or something. And then the other one says, well, we better take care of this and goes in and kills him. Something along those lines, uh, I think, is, I think is possible. 
Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15,178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Sandy says, is there any chance of getting Jim Clemente back to comment on our new list of suspects? I'm very interested in how these guys tie in with the victimology and unsub profile. I'm still looking for a motive, too. Uh, yeah, I'm sure Jim will be willing to come back on. I don't think we're ready for him yet. We're still, if you've noticed, when Jim comes on, Jim's got questions and he wants answers. And we are still finding those answers. We're getting closer and closer. I'm super excited about where the investigation is going. I'm very excited about uh, the help listeners have put in. You know, it's really cool for us as we're here, you know, researching and investigating and the producing the podcast. When we, for example, this weekend, you know, we put the episode out on Sunday, and it was, a, it was a big, big reveal of an episode. There's just a really big reveal for our investigation. But it's really cool for me personally. The whole idea here is this crowdsourced investigation that that no one person is smarter or a better investigator than a hundred thousand people all looking together with all mm-hmm. of their different expertise and and skill sets. So it was cool for me. We put the episode out, and I get busy throughout the day. And you know, one by one in the afternoon, I jump on the Facebook fan group, and the, the people are going off the chain. I mean, there's newspaper articles from the '70s through the '90s, and background checks, and and people finding connections. It just it's really really cool what's happening right now. This is the old school truth and justice crowdsource, truth and justice army investigation. That we've been waiting for in this case, and it's finally here, and I'm and I'm just thrilled beyond belief, and I think that we are going to find the absolute connection and the proof to prove who actually killed Bill. And it should be noted that it's been a long time coming with it, this case. It's been a tough case. It really has been. It's incredible how much has shaken loose in like the last two and a half weeks. Right. You know, I think that's important to note that like it, this is what's needed to happen. Well, and you could hear. I kind of talked about it at the beginning of the episode, but you could, you could. I'm sure you could hear in just my presentation. Especially in these follow-ups, where I, you know, I was a point where I was getting frustrated. It's like, damn it, you know, we took this case, small town. I, I feel like we 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 can crack it. We can we can we can break this one open. We can solve it. And it's just been just beating our heads against a wall for for months. And I was starting to feel like we're just we're just not going to get there. We're not, you know, we we've never had a case where we didn't break it to at least get to a solid prime suspect mm-hmm. you know in season in season one we did in season two we did three all of them we've always gotten down to okay the new investigation the power in the truth and justice army is we've been able to put our heads together and figure out this is our most likely suspect and right about the time i was feeling like we're just not going to get there on this one it's too old it's too random of a of a case 
and then all of a sudden one tip comes in and everything just breaks wide open. TW says, Wiley Holt says there was a brown car parked on the west side of the island pump when he was at the station. The register tape says that only Holt purchased gas any time between 7.28 p.m. and the time of the shooting and alarm. If they were actually there and didn't get gas, why did they park at the pump instead of by the station? Also, Holt's transaction is at 7.53, and he says he talked to Bill for an unknown period of time and ate a candy bar. At 7.57, Bill makes the $60 drop. Could Holt have still been there and seen that, and maybe contacted the Jeffs as this being a place to rob? I assume he and the Jeffs knew the cashier didn't have access after the drop, but maybe they didn't and thought they could get money from the safe, or just that there was enough business to warrant a drop even on a holiday. I don't know about the the safe drop and all that's a good point that we do have. I forgot about the fact that we do have some activity that we can track now. So we have Wiley Holt's transaction at 753. I forgot about that. The safe drop was exactly 757. Presumably he didn't do that while, while there was someone in the store. Right. Yeah. Cause they, they, when we talked to a couple of other clerks, they said they would try to do that without, they don't want the customers seeing them with all that cash. So they would try to do it when no one was there, which, it really starts to draw into question Wiley's statement in general. But I think for the here and now, it's probably pretty safe to assume that by 757, Wiley Holt was gone and on his way to the bus station. So so I think that's what the safe drop does for us. Because I don't think if he was in the middle of a conversation with someone, he's going to start you know stacking up the money and dropping it into the safe. But then going back to the guy at the pump, that's another great point that you know this guy's just sitting at the pump. Well, what was he doing at the pump? There's, there were no gas purchases. Only like cigarettes and food between then and when he was killed. Yeah, but look nowadays, how many people park at the pump to run into the gas station? And that's not uncommon. It's an asshole thing to do. Right. I do it all the time. And Becky tells me I'm an asshole. Yeah, I was just going to say, I, I, I just did that the other day. And I didn't even think twice about it. Just pulled right in, ran into the store really quick and came out. So mm-hmm. I don't think that's too big of a like a, alarm. You know what I mean? Because people do that. Right. Little, di- but, but what's weird is there was no one else in the gas station. Right. So the black guy wasn't in the black gas station. He's just sitting out in his car at the pump. He described him as this black guy. Like, why is he just parked at the pump and just sitting there? If it's somebody going in to get cigarettes, what if they ran in and get cigarettes, come back, sit in the car to open the pack? What if they're doing something? Yeah, it's it's possible. I don't think that he existed, to be honest with you. I could see him existing. I just don't think it. I just think it's yeah. just a thing. Well, when I, I'll explain on Sunday why I don't think he existed. Skip says, is it possible that Wiley Holt wasn't actually there that evening? That he wasn't operating the taxi? That after hearing what happened went into damage control mode? Is there any information available that actually puts him at the station? It's a very good question. I'll tell you, I don't have an answer. I have a theory, but we're going to talk about it on Sunday. All right, Adam says, on this week's episode, Bob placed quite a bit of emphasis on the timeline surrounding Wiley Holt and how quickly he found out about the robbery. Correct me if I'm wrong, but there's nothing to suggest that Wiley found out about the robbery while he was at the bus station. Sure, he asserts that it was shortly thereafter and talks about having enough time to get to the bus station, but he never actually gives a specific time. It's entirely feasible that his son could have told him later that evening when word had spread. I mean, you could be right, but I think that for me, looking kind of taking a forensic linguistics approach to the word choices made by Wiley Holt. And there's people certainly listening, Wendell Mass being one of them that are are much better at doing this. But 
what I heard is when when they say when did you get there, he's trying to figure out how much time it took before he he found out about it, and he says I had enough time to get to the bus station. He doesn't say anything about leaving the bus station. He doesn't say anything about getting his fare. He says, I had enough time to get to the bus station. And I think he says, and maybe go in to get an orange soda, which is another strange thing. He just left a gas station where he was inside purchasing things. Why does he not buy the orange soda there? A lot of different reasons for that we can get into on Sunday also. But but he says, I, I had enough time to get there, maybe to get an orange soda. And shortly thereafter, I found out. So I think that if he had left the gas station, that would be part of his narrative, right? So it'd be like, I had enough time to get to the gas station. I picked up my fare. I left. And then I was at this place when I found out. So linguistically, what he's saying, his word choices to me all indicate that in a short period of time after he got to the bus station, while still at the bus station is when he found out. Do we know when he came forward with his his statement? Yeah. One the the report says by Officer Sanders, I think it was, that at one ten AM a Wiley Holt came into the station. As a matter of fact, why I just said that and we're talking forensic linguistics, I want to re-look at that statement and I don't have any devices in front of me to do it. So I guess we'll talk about it Sunday. But there's a big difference if he wrote a Wiley Holt or if he wrote Wiley Holt. Could just be the way he wrote it, but oftentimes when an officer writes when an unknown person comes in, they'll add an A in front of it. Okay. So like a Zach Weaver came in and talked to me, meaning I don't know you. You said this is who you are. Right. Okay. Yeah. As opposed to Zach Weaver came in is I is is uh, that that to me that is writing about someone that you know and you're presuming the readers know. Okay. Doesn't have to be that way. It could just be their their report writing style, but all of a sudden right now in the moment I want to go through that report and then look at other reports by Officer Sanders to see the word choices that he uses. And I'm saying that because I feel like I remember him saying like a the person was a Stephen Hill or a you know different times when he wrote reports so that'll be interesting. All right, for our last follow up question of the decade. Yeah, that's right. Uh, for those of you, I think we mentioned before, but if if you were listening, if not, uh, just so you guys know, we are myself, Mike, and Zach are all taking the holiday break off, uh, which we do every year, the two weeks, so the week of Christmas and the week of New Year's. There will be no Truth and Justice episodes. So we have this Sunday's episode coming here in two days. And then the follow-up episode for that will not be until after we come back from the break, which will be in January, which will be the new year, which will also be the new decade. So you're right, Mike. This is the last follow-up question of this decade. And Matt's our lucky winner. How's Jamie feeling after your findings? He must be pumped. Have you had a chance to chat at length with him again? I have. Uh, the, it was the first thing I could not wait to do this week was to get my call from Jamie so we could talk about the new findings. I could see what he thought about it. He actually added some more information that really has my wheels spinning. And you're going to hear it all in two days in Sunday's episode. Truth and Justice is an NBI Studios production and is distributed by Wondery. Produced and edited by Mike Bussing, and all music for the show is created and composed by PutThemInASong.com. Our follow-up logo was created by Zach Weaver, and all of our font across all of our logos and banners were created by Tate Krupa of Red Swan Graphic Design. You can find more of Tate's work on Etsy. 
Thank you to Katie Ross of CreatedInTandem.com for designing, creating, managing, and maintaining our website, Truth and Justice Pod, where you can view all photos and documents discussed in every episode. A big thank you to our transcription team, Pamela Westby, Kathy McElhaney, Charlena White, Kaywood Yamnick, Ginger Fiola, Edith Swanneck, and Jen Reese in Candela. And as always, thank you to all of you for all of your engagement and support. If you like the show and you'd really like to support us, you can do so in a number of ways. To financially support the show, you can go to patreon.com slash truthandjustice. On the Patreon page, you can pledge as little as $3 a month, and we also have reward levels on Patreon that include access to behind-the-scenes videos of the tapings of our Friday follow-up episodes, ad-free versions of all of our episodes, Truth and Justice Army t-shirts and hats, and even the opportunity to co-host one of our Friday follow-up episodes. You can also help us out by going to iTunes and leaving us a five-star rating and review. And lastly, you can always support us by supporting the companies that sponsor this program. If you have a new case that you'd like us to consider for future seasons, you can submit your cases on our website, Truth and Justice Pod. Just click the case submission button and fill out the form. And the most important thing that you can do is engage in the investigations. You can keep in touch with us through our email at theories at truthandjusticepod.com. You can like our Facebook page or join in on the conversation on the Truth and Justice Podcast fan page. For all of you tweeters, you can connect with us on Twitter at TruthJusticePod. To follow our personal accounts on social media, I can be found at BobRuffTruth. Mike can be found at Murb Gaming, M-U-R-R-B-G-A-M-I-N-G. And Zach is at Z to the Q. And don't forget that we always have our 24-7 voicemail line open for questions, comments, and tips on our cases. That phone number is 269-224-2833. However you do it, stay engaged, stay in touch. But as for now, we're signing off. I'm Bob Ruff. I'm Zach Weaver. And I'm Mike Bussing. And this has been Truth and Justice. Christmas in the week of New Year's. For those two weeks, there's no episode. So the follow-up to this coming Sunday's episode won't be until... You said Bob and Weave. Why you let me get that far? I wasn't sure. Because I thought you were going to tie it back. And you I did. It. I thought you were... I was like, that was yeah. a weird thing to put in there, but maybe they'll bring it back. When did I say that? Pretty much right you said, away. You said this Sunday's episode will be new, and then we're going to take Christmas and next week off for Bob and Weave. Yeah, you're going to have to probably just start over. Start over. Say goodbye to the dish and hello to Skystream, the new way to get Sky over Wi-Fi. So you can get unmissable Sky shows like The Last of Us and Succession, as well as Netflix and Discovery Plus, and loads more, all in one subscription for £26 a month. Oh, and next day delivery with no upfront fee. Skystream, TV simplified. Head to sky.com. Requires Skystream and broadband minimum speed 10 megabits per second, 18 month minimum term. Cut off times apply for next day delivery. Excludes bank holiday, 18 plus terms apply. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. 